Weibu, and welcome to episode 28 of the Take It Black podcast. This week, we're going to talk Collingwood, Eddie Maguire, an open letter, and talk with Joden Perry, the executive producer of The Point, uh, the new season. There's a, a refresh this year, so a bit of that later on. But first up, I have got author, writer, columnist Paul Daly, lifetime Collingwood member, supporter. He has written the multi-award winning post-colonial column for Guardian Australia. This week, Collingwood's past has finally caught up with its present and its president. Now, this is the third time this week that Paul and I have had a tilt at this conversation. Each time we do it, we get gazumped with another element or aspect of the Collingwood train wreck. Paul, thanks for joining Take It Black. Good to be with you, Jack. What did you make of the press conference yesterday, four o'clock, Eddie Maguire? Look, it was a lot about Eddie and his victimhood, I thought, you know, stating the obvious, really, that the pressure that the barbs had become too much for him. Fair mm. enough. Um, yep. He was under a lot of pressure. Yep. Uh, but uh, there's a question of really why this all happened. And, and we go mm. back to the... No, that's right. He came out and said... It was a lightning rod for vitriol. I found it interesting that, you know, it was an emotional press conference or announcement or whatever for him. His voice was cracking at the start. He got really strong. And then all at yeah. the right moments, he had a, he shed a tear or his voice cracked. I think it was a really heavily produced announcement, if yeah. that makes sense. Did you get that impression? Look, I certainly got the impression that he did not want to repeat of, <laughs> of his press conference <laughs> from a week earlier where he said it was a proud and historic day for Collingwood when the Do Better report slamming racism in the club came out. Yeah, I think he'd obviously worked on it a bit more. He wasn't, he wasn't going to wing it. He was very conscious to put out there his record, his legacy. I still think, you know, it'd be really good to have an apology to Heredia Lumumba and... Yeah. Uh, uh, well, at least there was some sort of apology there yesterday. We're approaching uh, February 13, the uh, anniversary of the national apology. He echoed the exact same words. For that, we are sorry. Um, yeah. So he, yeah. I think that was uh, a very well-crafted element to the performance yesterday. Yeah, well-crafted and, and welcome, you've got to say, given mm. given what, you know, everything that's been been going on. But I still think... We need to look at why we are where we are, and that is to do better report and all of the pressure that put on him for not only of his mishandling of the issues inherent in it, going way back, you know, but mishandling the acceptance of the report and its um, public airing, you know. Yeah. Well, yesterday we've seen uh, an open letter publicly released that had been circulating overnight. Yesterday, it, it went up or was, was sent out, garnered a lot of interest, had some pretty prominent and notable names who were signatories to the open letter, people like Professor Gary Foley, Lydia Thorpe, Green Senator Lydia Thorpe was a signatory. There was a whole heap. Uh, Barbara Birch. McGrady, yep. Birchie, yep. Um, I believe you were on it, Paul, as was I. But over 100, I think, by the time that it really gathered momentum, and um, it was only a few matter of hours between those reports on the letter 
and Eddie announcing the presser for four o'clock and, and making that announcement? Look, I think that petition was really interesting and really, really powerful because it went to the money. <laughs> it yep. went to the it went to the sponsors and called on them to mm-hmm. think about what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, by association now. You know, Collingwood is a is a Leviathan, you know, it's a it's a huge club, hugely successful. It has big corporate sponsors, not least um, Nike and Emirates. And when the club name starts to fall into disrepute, sponsors start to worry. And no one is kind of more conscious of that than than Eddie, who's, you know, hmm. to, to his enormous credit, did great things financially for the club. Yeah. Yeah. Including booking these sponsors, which is which is no small deal. Yeah. When they start, whether they're making noises or not, mm. when when they when start the pressure comes on, when the when torch the comes fires. On, yeah. That is an untoward pressure. And yeah. and I think uh, I think that's probably what did it, but you know, we won't really know. I mean, well, he said him sticking around was unfair and untenable. Yes, well, it was up. It was that last Monday. Yeah, look, I think it's been that for a while. Um, I think it's really, you know, let's go back to twenty thirteen and the Adam Goods incident, and mm-hmm. you know his King, his words about King Kong. Yeah, he was lucky to escape the ignominy of that, but he toughed it out. You mm-hmm. know, but many thought he could have and should have gone then last year when the business about Heredia was aired again, that was another point at which Mm -hmm. it became untenable. And I think it's been untenable ever since then. And he may or may not think that, I don't know, but certainly now his departure creates an opportunity to really kind of participate in the type of introspection that that report recommends. Yep. Now, just his departure, let's look at that for a moment. You know, I've been made aware of the fact that Eddie is likely just to step aside but still retain a seat on the board. But listening to the press conference yesterday, this morning, first opportunity I, I had, it sounded as though it was effective immediately and he was stepping away completely. But there's still some uncertainty around that whole situation. How do you see it unfolding? Um, I think there needs to be some transparency in terms of what happens next, in terms of the presidency and the vacant board membership and the membership more generally of the board. I mean, as Barry Cassidy pointed out, you know, Barry's a long-standing high supporter and he's pointed out how difficult that has been due to all the racism that, you know, we, we all knew existed before it was identified in this report. He points out that there's been a distinct lack of transparency on the board for a long, long time. And in fact, there hasn't been any sort of public membership election of directors for something like 20 years. So I think it's fair to say that the membership who are concerned about the direction of the club are going to want some sort of say in the future shape of the board. Now, does that mean they get to elect all eight directors, I doubt it very much. And that's probably not good governance anyway, because you might end up with, you know, eight members of the, the 1990 grand final team on the, yeah. on the board and instead of people who actually know mm. what board work involved. And what they really need to do in shaping this board is to dive deep into the recommendations of the Do Better report yep. and find people with the skills, cultural awareness, 
capacity and wherewithal, because these aren't paid positions, I understand, to implement these recommendations, some of which are really tough to do. Well, they're all really tough, but you know, there's, there's one there that recommends that the Collingwood Football Club board undertake a board audit to ensure its membership through their behaviour and beliefs reflects its goals of diversity and individually embrace the values of the club, including the principles of anti-racism and inclusion. Yep. That is that is a fantastic recommendation. Absolutely. Board that is going to be capable hmm. of doing that and really wants to do it. So yep. I think a lot of members who are looking for change, a lot of supporters, whether they're members or not, are going to want to see a board that's not really just a proxy of eddies, that, that really hmm. does undergo cultural change. Yeah, and I think if you look across to the example set by clubs within the English Premier League, particularly since uh, the, the most recent Black Lives Matter uprising around the globe, there are demonstrations week to week of anti-racism type sentiment. And that's something that we just haven't seen taken up either last year since uh, whenever it was June 6, or you know before that, even though there have been really uh, a lot of you know, amplified calls to for, for Collingwood to um, address these issues and you know, things yeah. that have been happening even in the recent past since you know, 2013. And look, I think it's worth remembering in all of this, Jack, that you know, every time there's been an incident of racism within the AFL, which nearly always invariably involved Collingwood, a broader debate happens within the AFL, within supporters from all clubs. Now, Eddie's been a divisive president, you know, within the AFL, yep. you know, for all sorts of reasons. His high, high media profile, the fact that he's everywhere, the fact that the club has had huge financial success. But there's always a debate that polarises around the issue that comes up around him, which is racism. So there is a bigger problem within the AFL and it is not confined to Collingwood. Mm -hmm. Collingwood... Is, is the most egregious. There's no doubting that. And that's why we got this report, which they commissioned. But it's a chance to look more broadly too. So, you know, what would happen in the AFL? Can the, Imagine the debate if players started taking an E or... Yeah, um, week to week. Not week just to week. Not just the one, not just the dream time round. Precisely. But week Precisely. to week. Or if Indigenous players every week did the, did the war dance or the spear throw like mm. Adam, Adam Goods did. And, and Eddie Betts. And Eddie Betts. And others. You remember the division over that when it happened. Well, it's not only division, but just the, the offence that yeah. uh, people in the crowd and, and, you know, beyond that, viewers of the, of the match carry into just their behaviour on social media or into their day-to-day -day yeah. work life. Like, it resonates throughout the next few days, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. Next few days, next next few weeks. I mean, people still talk about what Adam Goods did. And yeah, still uh, offended by it for some strange reason. It was a celebratory dance. It was not a, a challenge or anything like that. So, you know, there is an issue with institutional racism more broadly. And, you know, the booing of Adam Goods was a real phenomenon that, you know, I don't know that anyone's really come to terms with mm -hmm. or under, understood quite how it began and the kind of feverishness it took on. Mm -hmm. Remember at the time, everyone was saying that he brought it upon himself. Yeah. Even friends yeah. of mine, close friends who don't like the swans or whatever it might be, they were saying that he brought it upon himself. I couldn't understand it. 
Yeah, really tough. Blame the victim. Blame the victim. But this was, again, that attitude towards the whole saga was perpetuated by key and influential figures within clubs and within the code and, and beyond that. Well, the debates on TV shows about football. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that themselves have histories of institutionalised racism. You know, mainstreaming uh, an assertion that he bought it on himself. Well, mm. pretty, pretty disturbing stuff. And, you know, my point about this is, is that let's use this to have a bigger look. Yeah. Collingwood needs to do its own work, but the AFL needs to do a lot too. And the other, the rival, no prominent sporting code, the NRL. I mean, these issues are just as present in that environment or in, in that sort of code. Josh Adekar, for example, you see the same sorts of things levelled at him purely yeah. because he is outspoken, proud, and has a, a achieved a level of success and prominence. Yeah. But you look at uh, some of the comments around, you know, on, on social media and stuff around him week to week when the season's in or when his name's in the news because of contracts or, you know, whatever it might be. And the same sorts of things are being levelled at him as what we've seen levelled against Lumumba, levelled against Goods, levelled against a whole heap of people. So more broadly, it's a reflection of our society than culture yep, usually is. That's right. And I think that's what's captured the attention of, of people that aren't necessarily interested in footy or aren't fans or interested in the internal workings of Collingwood Football Club. This is why this story has really uh, you know, gained the momentum that it has and has premiers commenting uh, and throwing support behind Eddie, which, I mean, bad call from... Victorian Premier Dan Andrews there that he walked out and lent his support to Eddie Maguire and within an hour already it <laughs> exposed him as uh, that support really. So that's, as, as Luke Pearson said, he uh, honey honey potted him into the whole racism <laughs> discussion. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean that's a that's a reflection of power and its mm. tentacles and the power of Collingwood, but the power of Eddie Maguire too and yep. his, his connections, but. That said, I think, you know, there are other politicians who wouldn't have lent their support to Eddie and there are some who would have mm. privately been saying he should go. I mean, I found really interesting Ken Wyatt's support for him. You know, I could read it no other way but a vote of support last week by saying he, sh he should stay and learn mm. uh, from on the report. I found that odd, I've got to say. Yeah. Well, you know, let's go, let's go past that. Uh, let's not try to uh, interpret what Ken Wyatt's comments and, and direction seek to achieve. This morning on ABC Breakfast Television, I just happened to catch the end of an interview between PK and Barry Cassidy standing in front of the Holden Centre there, Collingwood's home or new home away from Vicky Park. I thought I heard Barry say that he was going to have a run at getting on the board. Did he say that this morning? Yeah, look, I that, thought I heard that. I haven't yeah. seen it elsewhere. That would not surprise me if it was the case. I don't think Barry would see himself as a as a chairman, as a as a president, but I think he would very much like to be on the board. And well, whether he'd like to be or not, I, th I think he'd make a pretty valuable contribution. You know, so he would. I would hope he'd put his hand up. He's very good. He's a high high profile guy. He understands media. He loves the club he's been mindful of where it's gone wrong over many many years as he's as he's written he's found it very difficult to stick with them but he has as a member yep. and um he understands these issues of race 
very well. Talking of sticking with them, and just to wind up, we're both Collingwood supporters. You and I, you've been one since you know you came out. Really, are you going to hit and stick? Are you sticking with them? Yeah, I kind of decided that maybe the best way to bring some change is to stick with them. You know, I I love watching them play. I think there's a great player group there these days who were vocal, mind you, about the need for change and mm-hmm. and apologising to people who've been hurt by the systemic racism of the club. I'd love to see more Indigenous players on the list and yeah. I think probably seeing the leadership would too. Yeah, well, they got no players this year, have they? Since no. Travis Varko no. uh, hung up the boots last season. No, I'm just guessing that, that that's what they like. But, you know, a club that is diverse reflects that in the player list, right? Yeah, um, that's right. Um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with them and I'd like to kind of use what voice I have outside the club to agitate for the right sort of change. And I think if I'm a member, I've got a better chance of doing that too for whatever my membership is worth within the club. Well, that's right. And uh, side by side, mate, I'll be there with you. Good on you, Jack. Thanks, Paul. Up next, we're going to talk with Jordan Perry about what is in store for 2021 season of The Point. So, Jordan, the 2021 version of The Point, we've had a bit of a makeover. Mate, we have, Jack. Look, over the past few years when I've worked on The Point, we've sort of done a lot of uh, forward planning for the big show of the week. And we've, you know, from a far time out, we've picked certain themes, you know, issues facing our community and things like that. And we've pre-planned stories and, um, you know, made the whole hour about a certain topic and really stretched it out. So we've sort of put that to bed now in some terms. So this year at the point, we're going to be really reactive for the week that's happening. We're moving to Tuesday nights, 7.30 live. And the theory behind this is we're going to tell you the biggest stories that have happened in the week so far and a few days preceding, like, you know, things can happen on the Friday and over the weekend. And we're going to go really hard and give you the best analysis we can for those sort of yarns. We're also um, hoping that we can drive some drive some stories forward and set the agenda for the week that's coming because we'll sort of had a fair idea in um, Indigenous Affairs what events are coming up that week and we'll try and get some compelling interviews really to you know set the fires for those new stories for the week. That's basic the premise for the point. Ideally, every week we would like the show to be completely current and here's the things that are happening right now and we pull the trigger and react to them. Unfortunately, that won't be the case. So we do have to, you know, sort of look into a few bigger issues that are facing our people and be a little bit thematic in some respects. So mm-hmm. we have to plan things in advance. Of course, we know there's a lot of big events coming throughout the year. So we're sending journalists out as we speak to sort of capture some big yarns that we know that are happening. Like, for example, we've got one guy on the Warragamba Dam, um, you know, Southern Sydney. The government wants to raise the wall and it has a lot of impact there for the traditional owners, the ecosystem there. Things like that. Big ones around land, mate, as you know, the Madoff theme's heel country. So we want to get stuck into things like the MacArthur Mine and, you know, the Narrabri Santos project on Gomori country out there. So, yeah, what we're thinking is we want to make each weekly show as current as we can. Unfortunately, the whole show might not be able to do that every week and carry. So we just want to make sure that in that back end of the show, we're really touching on some of these big themes like I've described. You know, we've got the 30 years since the findings of the Royal Commission in Aboriginal Deaths in Custody this year. So what's, you know, what's actually happening, what's not happening, things like that we want to back end, but also 
we want to leave a little bit of time towards the back end of the show or pieces that can really celebrate our people and the things that they're doing and really touching personal stories as well, which will resonate with the audience and obviously working closer to yourself with this show in the digital theme. So we want to make sure that, you know, the show keeps traveling and every sort of item on the show can be converted to a digital piece that can get all our audience that don't tune on to TV, mate. Like yeah. the whole premise is the show is going to keep moving basically. And, um, you know, if you're not particularly interested in this story, you should know in five minutes, there's going to be another one and another yeah. one. So keep rolling on, mate. Yeah, well, looking forward to it. I know there was a, a point special for January 26. When are we kicking off with the season proper? 16th of March, we're going to be kicking off. So we're going to be doing three runs of 10 shows. Last year, well, obviously the coronavirus uh, really affected this. So we kept on air basically all year. We, we did 45 episodes of The Point last year. So we're scaling that back down to 30. We're having a month or so in between the 10 show breaks just so we can really... um dedicate the time in those down times to build up some quality content for our audience and really have the best crack at the biggest yarns going around. You know, we really want to fight this year, not just exactly just tell people how it is. We want to try and push for change because as we know, there's a lot of things um, that still affect our people and a lot of them come from paternalistic government policy. So we really want to put it on them and, you know, try and, you know, balance up completely showing everyone how we live. That's what we have done in past years, but really making people accountable for the things they put in place that affect our people. And, you know, we want change. We want better lives for the future for our children and new generations, mate. So this is, this is the best chance we can give this show of trying to um, change things if we make it as current as possible, really. Yeah, you mentioned the COVID really fouled our plans last year. Those plans were to take the point in the community uh, once a month, I think it was, which... Really yep. ambitious. I think we got one away in March before everything shut down. Is that something that we're thinking about doing this year, or is that going to we're keep not coming? Something else that's uh, that's that's in the slate. No, we're not going to take the point production um, on the road. We we really want to build trust with our audience, knowing that they can come here every Tuesday night at seven thirty, and they're going to get the same thing. They're going to get us going hard. They're going to get us fighting for the big things that are happening at the moment. Obviously, we've got some correspondence out and about. We want them travelling non-stop to communities, picking up you know, all the stories and all the things that are affecting smaller communities around the country, and we can report on those across live, talk to community members live on our show about things that are happening there. The big thing for moving on the road will be Big Mob Brekkie. So yep. we're just sort of working out if we can balance those things up. And, yeah, we want Big Mob Brekkie out there in communities and celebrating. Well, it went well. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the thinking is, Jack, we'd love to take just about everything to community, but with regards to the point, it's really a, it's going to be a hard-edged sort of really hard newsy show, so we yeah. want to save the big world brekkie, which is more celebratory, and we can take that to communities and have fun with people and engage oh, rather, than, and yeah, rather than the stiff show like the point. Yeah, and I think we've also got news on the road this year. Does that sound right? We do, we do. A lot of balls in the air. So we're trying to get, um, we're getting the news and the road crew out next week, I think. So we're sending them up to Townsville to collect some stories for us and lead up to the All-Stars. Sending a journalist, news written a couple of crews. So Sending on know, the digital journalist, Kira Jenkins. Sending one of our greatest journalists up there. We are. <laughs> but um, yeah. He's strong. She is very strong, but we're just going to, you know, touch base with um, communities up there, see what's happening and any big yarns they want us to tell. We'll try and get them out throughout the news on the road run the next week. But um, if there's something big, we'll film it for the point and hold on to it. But 
yeah, we, we want to keep up the presence in community where we can. It's a difficult balancing act, as you know. Our news team as a total is 28 people. And I think that we only have around nine or 10 journalists for a national newsroom. So we are all in there doing our best. We are like, you know, essentially a um, four-cylinder car and we're operating like a V8. Yeah. So we've got we, our we, team, our journo team are young, emerging yep. journalists as well. They're yeah. not, uh, we haven't got Stan Grant, you know, mm. on the bench waiting to jump yep. in and, and have a crack. They're kids with Kira, who's going up there for news on the road. This is, this will be her second year, 2021, her second year out of the cadetship. So, yeah, we have a lot of young ones coming through, mate, but, you know, at the end of the day, that's what we want. If we, you know, if we, if we bring them through and train them up and, you know, they stay with us long-term and turn into terrific journalists, terrific. If they go elsewhere, it's also great, mate. You know, we want black journalists out there everywhere in the media landscape. It's what we need. But we got a good mix, mate. We've got some experience in there too. We've got a really strong editorial team and hopefully we can just keep guiding them and um, helping them out with their journalism and, you know, really, really cracking hard at these stories that, um, that need to be told. That's right. And just for NITV fans, what's happening? Can you give us any inside skinny on whether you're going to be fronting up for the dot this year? I think so. I'm not necessarily sure what's happening with it. I think it might be moving to Wednesday night because the point has now taken the Tuesday slot. And the reason being for that is because the point is now embedded in the SBS News and Current Affairs lineup. That's a first for the point and NITV. It's the Simulcast opportunity? Yeah, it's one of the most significant things for um, bringing our content to a really wider audience outside of just our channel. So mm. we'll, we'll be we'll be doing the exact same show. The editorial won't be changing in any way. Do we get SBS, a run on SBS, do we? We do, we do. Yeah. So what will happen is we'll get a run on SBS main channel Tuesday night, I think a bit later in the night, maybe about 11 o'clock. Mm. But we will also get a pointer in world news at around you know seven o'clock or later in the bulletin that will say coming up next on nitv and we'll give them a, a preview in that high rating bulletin and push to the point so yep. there's a lot of lot of big things with the marketing team that they're doing for us this year and it's really the best the best chance we have for the point to succeed so we just got to make sure that we're filling it up with the stories that you know the community need to know the stories that the community want us to fight for and we mm -hmm. need to keep pushing for change because this is the best platform we have for the point yeah, and then the dot goes what the Wednesday. And I then... think it's Wednesday, mate. I'm I, I, like you know, being the host of it, I sort of just get told when everything's locked off and, and go from there. So I imagine the executive producer and the production team are sorting things and editorial and whatnot because it'll have to change editorial. I'd say if it's moving from a Tuesday to Wednesday, you probably can't talk too much about the last round by then. But I'm available. You wait for the phone call. Down. Yeah, yeah. Wait for the phone call. It'll come eventually. But never mind, you know, I'm, I'm busy enough as it is at the moment. Now, another interesting thing just before we wind up is that we had a crack on the Thursday for The Point last year. We've seen Q&A, ABC's Q&A shift from its hot Monday night slot, which it's been in forever. They've gone to later in the week. They've gone to the Thursday night up against the two codes of footy. What's going on with that? What What do you make of that? Mate, I've got no idea, to tell you the truth. I mean, you know, they've probably got the metrics and everything in front of them, but it's going to be a tough sell, you know? We moved the point from Wednesday, which we thought was failing, to a Thursday, and it bombed even harder. So I'm not sure what the audience sentiment is, but my thinking for moving the point up close to the front of the week 
is that people want their current affairs and their big news hit earlier in the week. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, by, so... by Thursday, the footy's coming, the weekend's coming, you want to start thinking about relaxing. And yeah, I wouldn't be too keen on too much current affairs on a Thursday night, but you know, I'm not the ABC audience. So yeah, well, that's we'll right. See how they go. <laughs> I mean, it's a proven formula up front of the week. You go the heavy news and later you go softer. So maybe Quanda's going to turn into a variety show. Could. I mean, some cynics would say that it already is. Ah. Yeah, mate. Well, tell you the truth, I don't really know because I don't watch it. Yeah, give that the skip. Tune into the point though. Much better, much better show. Yeah, well, we're giving it the best chance we can, mate. You know, I, I think we've done a great job over the past two years. It's just the format and the same sort of stories we've been telling every sort of year. We need to change it up. We need to tell everyone the stories that are happening right now, and really have a good crack at them. So it, it should be good, mate. Well, thank you for joining us for the second episode of Take It Black for 2021. Remember to subscribe using your favorite podcast listening app. Uh, throw us a follow on Twitter at Take It Black Podcast. Join in the conversation with the hashtag Take It Black. And remember, until next time, to always take it black. Always love, always love